Good morning, Central Western Church. Today's reading is from Numbers 16, and it's a couple of selected verses. Korah, son of Azar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi and certain Reubenites, Dathan and Abiram, sons of Iliab and On, son of Peleth, became insolent and rose up against Moses. With them were 250 Israelite men, well-known community leaders who had been appointed members of the council. They came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron and said to them, you have gone too far. The whole community is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? When Moses heard this, he fell face down. Moses also said to Korah, now listen, you Levites, isn't it enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the Israelite community and brought you near to himself to do the work at the Lord's tabernacle and to stand before the community and minister to them? He has brought you and all your fellow Levites near himself, but now you are trying to get the priesthood too. It is against the Lord that you and all your followers have banded together. Who is Aaron that you should grumble against him? Then Moses summoned Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab. But they said, we will not come. Isn't it enough that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness? And now you also want to lord it over us. Moreover, you haven't brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey or given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Do you want to treat these men like slaves? No, we will not come. He warned the assembly, move back from the tents of these wicked men. Do not touch anything belonging to them or you will be swept away because of all their sins. As soon as he finished saying all this, the ground under them split apart, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them and their households, and all those associated with Korah together with their possessions. The next day, the whole Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. You have killed the Lord's people, they said. But when the assembly gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron and turned toward the tent of meeting, suddenly the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses and Aaron went to the front of the tent of meeting, and the Lord said to Moses, Get away from this assembly so I can put an end to them at once. And they fell face down. Then Moses said to Aaron, Take your censer and put incense in it along with burning coals from the altar, and hurry to the assembly to make atonement for them. Wrath has come out from the Lord. The plague has started. So Aaron did as Moses said and ran into the midst of the assembly. The plague had already started among the people, but Aaron offered the incense and made atonement for them. He stood between the living and the dead, and the plague stopped. This is the word of the Lord. Sorry, I'm not as, um, 
not as short. I'm not as talented as Eric, and I can't memorize a whole sermon. Have you guys realized that he does that? Gosh. Anyway, um, well, my name is, uh, is Jeff Newell. If you haven't met me before, I would, I would love to meet you sometime. Um, and I'm excited to preach this morning. I'm, I'm probably a little nervous, too. It's, it's been a little while. Um, haven't, haven't done this in a long time. Um, but I'm excited to preach because I've grown a lot from sermons in the past, and it's been su- such a gift to me when people have been able to open God's Word um, and show me beautiful things in it and apply it um, to my heart. And so I hope that I'm able in some way uh, to do that for us this morning. Um, as, I, as I've grown, I've become more and more amazed with people who have uh, an amazing ability to use words. Um, now, whether that's uh, a great story writer or um, a well-crafted quote or a sermon or even uh, the lyrics of a song, um, it's amazing when someone can use words well. But that's never been a, an easy and a natural thing for me. I've, I've had a really hard time, and I think being in seminary has made it harder because uh, my brain is just exhausted all the time of trying to take these things that are very clear in my head and actually making words say them. But I admire people who do it really well. Um, and one of the people who does this is uh, one of my favorite musicians. His name is John Bellion. Um, and uh, he has um, one of the, the first lines in his song, that caught my attention is this. What if who I hoped to be was always me? Now, this is a fascinating line for so many reasons. I think it's rich and deep. But here's, here's the interesting thing. He says, what if who I hoped to be was always me? You know what's implicit in this? He always wants to be something than what he, other than what he already is. I heard that, and I'm like, gosh, I feel that. I constantly finding myself wanting to be something other than what I am right now in this moment. Maybe it's a little bit uh, tall, maybe not taller, I don't know, for basketball. Maybe it's a little bit taller, maybe it's a little bit stronger, um, maybe it's a little more powerful, maybe it's a little bit better with words, um, maybe it's a little more loved. But I always want to be something other than what I am. Um, there's a way that I want life to be, and it seems sometimes as though it's hardly ever that. Do you, does this resonate at all with you? Maybe a little bit? So a great question for us this morning is, how do we deal with this, with our disappointments, with our dissatisfaction, and our pain? Now, I'm not going to be able to answer that question fully today. Uh, I'm still working on that myself. But um, hopefully by looking at our story, we're going to see three things that are going to help us out and maybe take us a little bit further along on this journey. So um, in looking at the story, we're going to see three things. We're going to see a common experience. We're going to see a common response to that experience. And then an uncommon person. So a common experience, a common response, and then an uncommon person. So first, a common experience. So uh, in our passage, the the Israelite people have, um, and if you've been here and uh, been with us in our journey through Numbers, we've seen that the Israelites have uh, been on a journey, and they have gone, um, sometimes they're camping, sometimes they're wandering, but this whole time they're in the wilderness, 
and they're not home yet. Um, Now, God has spoken to them that he's leading them to a land that's flowing with milk and honey, and that's going to be home, but they're not there yet. Um, Now, we don't know exactly what's in the mind of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and why they're so dissatisfied with Moses, but let's, let's look at what they are saying and see if, we can, uh, see if we can figure it out by looking at that. So they say this, isn't it enough that you have brought us out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness? Moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey or given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Now look, this part is true. They're not there yet. And uh, it sounds kind of nice. I'd, I would want to be there too. But um, what, what do you think they want? They want to be in a land flowing with milk and honey. Um, that's good because that's the direction that God is leading them. Um, God, it, God wants to give that to his people. And what's even bigger than that is that he wants to dwell with them there. It's always been a part of God's plan to give his people a land and to dwell with them in the land. Now for them, the first time they're going to see this is going to be in the land uh, of Canaan. But God's plan to live with his people in a land isn't going to end there. It's going to continue on. um, And it's still something that he promises that he'll give us one day. Um, If we fast forward to the end of the Bible the end of time, Revelation talks about what God's grand plan for history is. Uh, There's going to be a new land. He calls calls it a new heavens and a new earth. There's going to be a holy city there. But when you look at the description of it, it's not just some ethereal floating on the clouds. It it sounds something similar to to places that we've maybe tasted before. Now, there's imagery of what what it's going to be like there. It says there's going to be um, the river of the water of life, and it's going to be clear as crystal, that it'll be flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb and down the middle of the great street of that city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations." That doesn't sound like clouds and harps and just some heavenly existence, does it? It sounds like a real place. And this is God's desire for his people. But he also, it says that, God, that uh, of this place, God's going to say that God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will, he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. I don't know about you. I would like to be there, like this afternoon. <laughs> Maybe right now, just say amen, let's walk outside and let's, let's be. No, I, I, I want to be there, and I recognize that we're not there. And Matt, you did an awesome job of just drawing out the, the, the discomfort of the fact that we live in a broken place that's not that. But the good news is that God's plan for human history is that one day it will be that. It'll be, it'll be a place where God is dwelling with his people in a good land. 
So um, that was God's plan for, uh, for, for Moses in the book of Numbers, in the, in the story that we're looking for his people then, and it's going to be God's plan for us as well. And so the question, again, is if that's where we're headed, how do we weather the disappointments of today? How do we weather the reality that life is not what we want it to be? Um, we're going to look at maybe how we do that, but first we're going to look at a common response. So we, we saw the common experience that we re- recognize that the world is not the way it's supposed to be, that, but we have this longing for how it is going to be. And then we have the common response. Um, so let's, let's look, because I think there's something about how we respond to this that we can see in, uh, in, in how Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, you know, it's not just you, it's me too. Uh, it's a common response that we have as people. So let's take a look. Um, it says, they came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron and said to them, you have gone too far. The whole community is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? Now, um, we, need to, we need to analyze this because they're, they're opposing Moses and Aaron, who, who are God's mediators, it's the ones that God set, you know, here, you, know you, you are going to be in charge, you're going to be leading. Um, but then they claim that they're setting themselves above the Lord's assembly. So we, we need to analyze this and see, see what's going on here. So they say the whole community is holy, every one of them. And here's where they might have got it from. Earlier on, God has said, I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. Uh, so, good. When, when they say the Lord is with them, God has desired to be with his people. Uh, but we're going to talk about, you know, we're going to continue analyzing. But first, as, as a part of understanding just the whole situation, uh, we need to recognize how crazy this statement is right here. God saying, I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. Um, God, if God is this all-powerful being who created the universe, then how is he going to dwell among the people of Israel and them not be consumed by his power? So, like, let's, let's look at this a, a slightly different way. What if it said, the sun will dwell among the Israelites and be their God? Exodus 29:45, maybe? I don't know. Would this work? Even though the sun is life-giving, and it's impossible to live without, if the sun were to dwell among the Israelites, they would be consumed by its power, by its heat. And so if God is going to dwell among us, then it's going to be somewhat miraculous, or his power is going to have to be mediated to us. In the same way that the sun, uh, we, we can enjoy the sun and grow from the sun, but it's mediated um, to us. There's something in the middle. There's got to be something in the middle. And that something in the middle with the sun is a lot of miles. <laughs> so what is going to be in between God and us so that he can dwell with us? Um, so, sorry, I'm very not used to microphones. It's, it's pretty weird. So um, we're actually going to go back to that, to, to this verse again. Uh, sorry, go, go, to, go to the next one. So we're going to go back to where it says, I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. 
this is maybe what they're looking at to say like, hey, God's with all of us, but let's, let's look at what actually comes right before this. So Moses says, oh, yep, that, that, was, that was the one, that was the one, yep. Um, so Moses says, or God says, so I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar and will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. Then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. So God is going to set Aaron and his sons to serve as priests, the ones who are going to mediate, be in the middle of God and all his power and glory and goodness, and the people who are a bit smaller. Um, And God has set this up so that he can dwell with their people. And it was God's idea. So when we look back um, at what they were saying earlier, they say, who is Aaron that you should grumble against him? Uh, he didn't set himself above the Lord's assembly. God set him there. And so their problem is not with Aaron. It's with God. There's a sense in which um, it seems as though they, they want to be God or they want to have his power. Because God said, I've, I'm choosing Aaron. And they're like, nuh-uh-uh. We want you to choose something different. You chose Aaron. We wanted you to choose us. And so, um, sorry, this was the hardest part for me to actually explain when I was going through. And so, um, anyway. Uh, there, there's a sense in which uh, we want to be God as well. Because we look at what God has given, and we say, no, I don't want it that way. I want it this way. And God, I want you to bless that. I don't want it that way. I want it this way, and I want you to bless it. In the same way that Korah, Dathan, and Abiram said, God, you you said you wanted Aaron. We didn't want Aaron. And we're going to show up to this little test with our censors, and we expect you to bless it. And God doesn't do that. So I want to invite you to think, um, th- think along with me. Um, what does this look like for us? Th- this idea of God has said it's going to be one way, we don't want it that way, and we expect him to bless that. Us wanting power of some kind that doesn't belong to us, that God hasn't given to us. Now, it could be saying, I want to live my life the way I want to live it, and I expect God to bless that. Completely irregardless of what God has said about how we are to live, we say, I want to live the way I want to live, and I expect God to bless that. Or, it could be saying, um, I need a higher position at my workplace. Um, And if I had this, then I could have the land. I could have the land of milk and honey. Or it could be some certain ability that we don't currently have. Or it could be saying, I need more physical health. Or it could be, I need the ability to preach better sermons. 
And if only I had that, then I would have it made and I wouldn't have to work really, really hard on a Saturday night and I could just relax. <laughs> or maybe it's saying, I just need my family to be the way I want them to be. Now look, the, all these things could be very good things. Um, look, if, if you have a chance to take a higher position at work, then take it. If you, if you have a chance to um, see doctors and, and grow in your physical health, take it. I hope that I'll take advantage of opportunities to learn how to preach better sermons in the future. And if you have an opportunity to grow as a family, then I hope you do. And there's, there's nothing wrong uh, with these things. And we can even acknowledge that many of these things that we long for, that we say like, oh, if I just had power in my hands, I could make them that way. Many of these things that we long for, it's helpful to be a reminder that these will be a reality in the future when we dwell with God in the land that he provides. But the problem is that when we think that by having these things, then we can get to the land too. The problem is, is when we say, look, all these things that I want, if I could just have them in my hands and I could take them and I could wield them, then life would be how I want it to be. That's, that's the problem. Now, it's a problem for a couple reasons, but um, Moses is actually going to point out one of the problems. Uh, and the problem is this. Even though we want may want the world to be more how it's designed to be, and that's good, and we can want good things. Uh, when we do that, and we lose a thankfulness for what we already have, then, 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 we're, then we're missing it. Remember, um, Moses reminds them, he says, look, the God of Israel separated them out. Uh, he, he brought them near to himself to stand before the community and minister to them. He'd already given them this special position and power, and, and, and they said, all right, that's nice, but we want more. And so in the midst of our living with our disappointments and our wanting it to be that way, even though it's this way, um, and again, a lot of that desiring is good, and it can be good to name that, because the world's not the, the way it's supposed to be, and it's not the way God wants it to be. But in the midst of naming that, can we also be thankful for what God has already given us? Um, you, you may not have the position you want at work, but do you have the ability to cause good to happen through your position at work? You, you may not have um, all the physical health you want to, but can you still serve people with the physical health that you have? So I'm not saying that we need to never have any satisfaction and only focus on the good stuff, count your blessings and be thankful um, God calls us to grieve with those who grieve, and, and, and it is a right response to look at the brokenness of the world and to grieve. Um, but we are also called to remember the good things that we're given and to use them for God's purposes. Now, uh, doing these two things is hard, to be able to, one, grieve, and two, to be thankful. And it's hard. And uh, in order to do this, we're going to need to see the third thing. So we've seen uh, a common experience. We've seen a common response. Uh, but third, we're going to see an uncommon person.
so we're going to do this, um, but first we kind of need to set the stage again. Um, so after all this has happened, the people are still grumbling against Moses and Aaron. It says, the next day the whole Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and they said, you have killed the Lord's people. Do you remember from the story what, what happened? The, the ground opens up. Do you really think they did that? <laughs> God is trying to get their attention, and they're not paying attention. And so something else happens. And so uh, it says that God started sending this plague on the people, and it starts sweeping through the community. And maybe around this time, they're beginning to wonder, okay, maybe I messed up. Maybe I haven't seen this totally right. And so in the midst of it sweeping through the community, what happens? It says, um, so Aaron did as Moses said, and he ran into the midst of the assembly. The plague had already started among the people, but Aaron offered incense and made atonement for them. Is there, is there another one? Oh, yeah. uh, he stood between the living and the dead, and the plague stopped. Uh, it wasn't just one of the people who did this. It's the person they just grumbled against. It's the person they were dissatisfied with. It's the person who had, uh, the people had just tried to strip of his power. That's the person who ran in to save the people. Uh, no one had power to stop what was coming, but Aaron did. The, the mediator did. But then something else happens, and um, uh, it, it was not in the scripture this morning because the passage was just too long. Um, <laughs> so I'm just going to briefly summarize this, but this is what happens uh, right after that. Uh, the next day, God tells Moses uh, to do something, and he does it, and uh, he takes all the staffs um, from the leaders of each tribe, and they put him in the part of the tabernacle where only, um, where, where God's presence was said to dwell, uh, and it's, uh, it's in the place where only the person God chose could go. Now, uh, most people, you know, we, we don't have staffs anymore. I don't walk with a staff. They look cool when I watch Lord of the Rings, um, but basically a staff is just a dead stick, right? Like, like it might look cool, but it's, at the end of the day, it's a dead stick. So uh, they take 12 dead sticks and they put them in a room. And the next day, it says, Moses entered the tent and saw that Aaron's staff, which represented the tribe of Levi, had not only sprouted, but had budded, blossomed, and produced almonds. Now, if you're curious, if this is normal, you can go take 12 sticks and put them in a shed tonight and go back tomorrow morning and see if that's happened. Now, it's not like they were just recently caught and had a little bit of life left in them. Like, you know, if you've been walking around with a staff, it's been dead for a while. Um, this is not normal. They went in and they expected to see, you might have expected to see, right? It would be normal to see. Uh, you put 12 sticks in there, 12 dead sticks. You go in the next day and you see 12 dead sticks. 
But when Moses went in, he found something unexpected. He found life. Dead stick, dead stick, dead stick. Life. Life budded, blossomed, and produced almonds from a dead stick. And this time, when the people say this, their grumbling is done. As a matter of fact, they say, uh, as one translation says, we are undone. So to recap kind of what's happened, how the people went from grumbling, grumbling, grumbling to undone. They see this plague sweeping through, and they begin to wonder and maybe realize, hey, ugh, maybe I'm a little bit culpable too. <laughs> and maybe if someone doesn't come in and stop this, uh, then maybe I'll get what I deserve. And then after that, uh, they see the mediator who they rejected, who they were calling against, and they see him run to their defense so that death stops. And then they see something alive where they expected it to be dead. Uh, Now, does this sound familiar at all to you? This sounds like Jesus. But with Jesus, it was actually different. See, Aaron had to look past the people's sins to run to their defense, but Jesus had to bear them. He had to wear them and to carry them. Um, And then later, God proved his mediator by bringing uh, life to a dead stick, but later, God proved his mediator by bringing life to a human person. The Israelites saw that the mediator that was with them, they saw what he was really like. They saw what Aaron was really like, and they saw what God was going to do through him. And so the challenge for us is to look at our mediator as well. And so, um, so what? Uh, If you're here and you're exploring Christianity, I would just invite you to consider, in the midst of the disappointments, What would it be like to have this mediator with us? A mediator who uh, would gladly carry all your sin on his shoulders and stand between what we might deserve and us. And that same mediator who, in the midst of all the death that we see, has life. And that God is going to give life through him. Um. And if you're here and, you know, you've, you've been a Christian at the same time, maybe, maybe the call is just to, um, to be reminded of who is here with you as well. Um, life is hard. If you figured it out, please tell me. Um, I don't know how to make the hardness of life go away. I, it's disappointing, all this. But remember who is there with you in it. Uh, to close, just, just a little honesty. So, um, preparing this sermon was hard for me, and I, I had to learn to believe the sermon I was going to preach. The number of times that I just got so frustrated that I couldn't make words say what I wanted to say, that I didn't have the power over words that I wanted to have, and I kept thinking, man, if I could just say what is in my head, then this would be easier, and I could go take a nap, 
And then yesterday, I, I woke up and um, I was a little bit sick. And uh, I'm probably the wimpiest sick person that I know. Like, if you punch me in the face, I'll be fine. I'll shake your hand. We can be best friends. But if I have a cold, I'm not getting out of bed. And I thought, man, does this seriously have to come right now? If only I could just have power to say what I want to say. If only I could just have the physical health that I want right now. Because um, I don't know about you guys, but uh, have you ever thought, um, you know, that you're, you're about to do something important, and you're like, man, it just all rides on me right now. Like, I'm going to have to get this right, right here, right now. I, oh, gosh, sorry. I shouldn't feel that way. I do feel that way a lot of times. And my struggles with words and my sickness was really making it hard for me to just get this sermon right. Because it, sometimes it feels like everything is on your shoulders. And so here's what I had to be reminded of. It's not on my shoulders. The weight of the world to take the brokenness and make it right again is not on my shoulders. That's not on your shoulders either. It was Jesus who held it on his shoulders. And my desire that my words would give life to you, I don't have that power. I can't say the right words. And then we will all walk out here just rejoicing and excited and full of the life that God gives. But God can give that. And so as we go to whatever's next, um, for you this afternoon, I don't know, this week, work, family, um, the weight of the world is not on your shoulders probably good that it's not. As much as we want to just take things in our hands and, and wield them for good, it, sometimes it's good that it's not in our hands to start with. I'll, I'll close again. Sorry, it's the second time I said I'll close. This time I'm just going to read one verse. Um, we're told later in, in Romans, uh, just this simple fact the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. That same force, God's spirit, God, that gave life to the dead stick overnight and caused it to bud, blossom, and produce almonds. That same force of life dwells in you too. Let's pray. Well, God, um, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for uh, stories of Moses and Aaron and, and what they did that help us to see more clearly what Jesus did. Um, we do hate and lament and are, are grieved by the fact that the world is the way it is. Uh, but we are thankful uh, for what you will one day do with it. God, help us uh, to be patient in that time. Help us to uh, gladly receive what you've given us. Help us to use what you've given us uh, for the good of those around us. And help us to be encouraged by who is with us. Help us to see him and rejoice in him. Amen.